Hi, everybody. David Noor on behalf of uh, Service Council. I want to welcome you to another episode of our in-service podcast series. I'm delighted you've joined us. We're live on Facebook and LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter with uh, uh, a uh, brilliant guest. I want to welcome Bulan to our uh, session. Hello there. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. It is great to have you. I'm excited about our conversation for our audience. We're going to talk about a topic that I think uh, you've certainly heard about or certain aspects of it in the last several months and if not the last couple of years of this global pandemic, which is agility. But we're going to go, uh, as you'll learn more about Bolan's background and, and, and the ServiceNow organization, we're going to talk, uh, you know, I think considerably deeper about, you know, how do you really operationalize it? How do you really bring it to life? How do you create value and impact in the organization from not just thinking more agile, but really implementing those. So we're delighted you're here. Balant, if we could, um, let's start with your personal and professional background. If you could just share a couple of minutes of where you've been, what you've done, and how you've arrived here, that'd be a great way to kick us off. Sure. Um, I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey. I know you've been there. You like the place. Actually, you've been there uh, recently than <laughs> I was. Yeah. Uh, I was you're there before the pandemic started, so I couldn't go back. I would love to go back. Um, I've been in Silicon Valley Bay area uh, for about 25 years now. First, you know, I wanted to be here for a certain amount of time. Then, you know, I met my wife and it's been 25 years. And I have two teenager boys, one starting college, one starting high school next year. Um, that's on the professional side, uh, personal side on the professional side, I've been around the block for some time. So I worked at startups. I worked at enterprise companies such as Oracle, SAP, Salesforce. And for the last one year, I'm at ServiceNow, GM of field service management. Love that. Tell us a little about ServiceNow, kind of the sample clients. What, what do you guys do? Who do you serve? Give us some context on ServiceNow. Sure. Um, ServiceNow is a cloud-based platform company founded in 2004. Uh, we create digital workflows for enterprises. So if you look at our product portfolio, um, there are four um, business units. Uh, one is uh, technology workflows, uh, our flagship product, you know, ITSM, ITOM products are belong to that business unit. Then employee workflows, uh, everything around HR and workplace safety creative workflows, you can create your own custom applications and customer workflows in industry. This is where field service management belongs to. Um, we have about um, 7,400 customers, um, 17,000 employees, and 80% of the Fortune 500 uh, uses ServiceNow products. Some of the customers are uh, Coca-Cola, G, Nike, Dis Disney Plus, Deloitte are some of our customers. Uh, tell us a little about the service organization. So, so, so uh, your role, your function, how do you function within the customer workflows to really help those great clients? Yeah, so it's interesting. I said I've been around the block, you know, I worked at um, different companies, but either I focused on the back office side of it, the problem, or the front office side of it. First time I have a chance to address the entire uh, problem, middle office, back office, and front office. And I think that's where ServiceNow is providing a unique differentiation uh, to the market because of the strong workflow capabilities, 
really able to connect uh, all these uh, three departments, back office, front office, and middle office. And, um, and the differentiation is actually at a platform. ServiceNow started as a platform. You know, we provide one platform, one data model, one architecture, and all the products are out of the box integrated. So as part of field service, this is an advantage. That means the entire company is practically working for me. I can uh, tap into our product portfolio, bring workforce optimization from field service point of view. I can tap in, leverage asset management capabilities. I don't have to build everything. And this really provides our customers, you know, uh, better time to value out of the box integration. Having said that, that doesn't mean you can only use ServiceNow products. We also have integration to other systems. We know customers invest uh, a lot on other application systems. We can coexist as well. Um, I know you serve, and I appreciate John Carroll jumping in. I know you serve on the Service Council Technology Advisory Board. You also uh, were uh, part of a, a webinar that Service Council recently uh, hosted with one of the customers. Can you give us a customer example of how the ServiceNow platform is, is supporting them or helping them? Yeah, uh, the webinar was um, uh, best in class KPI metrics and performance. I think uh, it was originally on April 7, now available as on demand. Uh, 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 our customer was Xerox. So everybody knows Xerox, a household brand. They've been in business more than 100 years. Um, not only their uh, printers and photocopy machines, but the the mouse we use and the graphical user interface came from Xerox Labs. So they have about 25,000 employees around the world. Um, clearly, any challenge you can imagine, they have been faced over the years in one of the regions. So um, the way uh, they use our products, and recently in North America, uh, they had to combine two field service business units, and each of them were using different systems, and those systems were silo. So they uh, centralize everything on one system, which is ServiceNow field service management. They also enable customer service uh, application as well. And uh, they use our scheduling application, mobile applications. Um, and they really went through this digital transformation during this pandemic timeframe, actually, which was uh, added additional challenges. So um, in this webinar, we talked about you know, how do they define uh, success metrics? How do they make it uh, operationalized? How do they know they're successful and um, and the results? Yeah, and uh, Sheila's, thank you, jumping in. So on demand, servicecouncil.com for our audience. If you go to the event section, you can find this uh, and the link is uh, in, in, a, in the LinkedIn uh, area as well. So uh, is the buyer that head of, field service at a, at a Xerox or any number of the Fortune 500s? You, you know, who's who's the target audience for the ServiceNow field service management platform? Correct. Overall customer service, VP of uh, customer service uh, is a target uh, buyer, but field service organizations, they have their own field service, head of field service um, leaders. And is the disparate data or trying to get everybody on the same page typically the challenge that you guys, you know, kind of address? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the business drivers for field service, right, what we're all trying to do with field service, um, reduce cost, <laughs> contribute to profit margins while keeping your employees and customers happy. 
it's uh, easier said than, said than done. Uh, and they're all connected to each other. So depending on your priorities, you have to really delicately balance different initiatives within the organization. If you're thinking about reducing cost, there are many different ways of doing it. The first uh, thing, you need to get visibility, right? If you don't know your current state, you can't really set a KPI and measure your success and move forward. Uh, connecting silos, it's uh, number one. And then providing on top of it operational uh, efficiencies, whether it's scheduling or your technician efficiency. And then only then you can start making progress and maybe contributing to profit margins as well. Yeah, love that. Uh, let's talk about, you know, you brought up the, the Istanbul visit and, and this global pandemic the last couple of years has just dramatically changed a lot of our you know behaviors, a lot of our focus. Can you can you talk about two to three trends you've observed through this mm -hmm. pandemic that Belanda, I'm really interested in those that you believe will have material impact on that field service business. What what have mm -hmm. you seen that you think this is not going to go away. This is going to stay with us long after the pandemic may subside. Yeah. There were a lot of trends that we have been um, monitoring in the past, but I think COVID really, uh, pandemic really accelerated all of those. So digital transformation projects um, speed up because, you know, companies, organizations had no choice. In 2020, um, and you know, they all survival mode. How do we cut cost? 2021, how do we find ways to increase revenue? Now they're focusing on their customers. How do we keep our customer base? How do we um, uh, increase our revenue uh, continue? But, you know, COVID and hybrid work, field service organizations went through a lot of challenges and changes as well. Um, and if you couple that with, you know, aging workforce, and labor shortage, it really created a problem for field service leaders around employee experience. So um, one of the thing is here to stay and becoming um, critical objective is employee retention, training, uh, employee experience. And it is correlated to customer experience as well, right? So uh, in the car business, there's a saying, you know, sales sells the first car, service sells the next hundred. So if you keep your employees happy, they're going to keep your customers happy. Yeah. Uh, again, John Carroll's got a great point of, uh, you know, the customer experience initiative, absolutely number one priority in the service leaders. Uh, service Council does a fantastic service leaders agenda research. And for our audience, if you hadn't had a chance to check it out, servicecouncil.com, some great, great content and research from the group. Um, give us Give us an example of what, either you're doing or you're seeing customers do in terms of that employee experience, yeah. right? So, uh, and again, we, we've all reading a lot about the, the great tsunami of the, you know, the, the, the silver tsunami of the aging yeah. workforce retiring or the great resignation, which I believe people are just leaving crappy bosses or maybe difficult conditions. But talk about either something you guys are doing or you're seeing clients do in terms of really mm -hmm. elevating that employee employee experience. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Xerox because we specifically talk about this during the webinar as well. So yeah. one of the additional challenges Xerox had, majority of their field workforce have been approaching the retirement age for the next three to five years. And if you add the labor shortage, um, 
So their problem exactly, how do we onboard new employees and how do we, um, you know, take the knowledge from 30 year old, a 30 year veteran and uh, make sure the service quality continues with the 30 day new employee. So actually that's an example for agility as well. What Xerox has done, um, uh, they acquired a company to provide additional digital tools for their employees. So they created a remote assistance, obviously a pandemic force uh, a lot of companies because you cannot bring people together and backlog keep increasing. You have to provide remote um, a resolution, but they also provided um, augmented reality and AI assistance. So with that, taking the knowledge of veterans, putting in the AI engine, and guiding the new employees step-by-step step during the process really helped them. In fact, it was so successful, they spin off the company and ServiceNow also invested in, and we have seamless integration with CareAR, Xerox company, uh, to provide this solution to many different other customers as well. That's fantastic. What a great story. And, and again, I keep thinking of, you know, when during a time where vaccination was a challenge, whether you wanted one or didn't, or customers who don't want to see field technicians if they've not been vaccinated, to have mm -hmm. a augmented reality AI leverage the expertise of those seasoned technician just becomes a borderline no-brainer. But again, much easier to talk about than it is to implement and deploy, particularly right. in a mature company and a mature industry like Xerox. So what a great, great story. Um other trends, other so digital transformation, hybrid work, employee experience, anything else that kind of comes to mind that you believe, listen, this thing is not going to go away. Yeah, definitely flexible work hours. Uh, a lot of customers are telling us they're exploring if there could be a marketplace, um, Uber kind of, uh, you know, professionals can sign on based on their own schedule and pick the work they want to work on. But obviously, uh, quality is important, so they need to pass certain certification levels. But people can work from wherever they want to work. So um, this flexible work, um, new ways of leveraging workforce around the world uh, is here to stay. And as I said, you know, there are certain trends like AI was always there. Now it's accelerated. Uh, it's not here to replace. Uh, employees, but it's to empower them, to make them super employees, uh, per se. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So uh, the title of this session around operationalizing agility, I, I'm, I'm, I was fascinated by that in our earlier conversation. Talk about what that means to you and talk about mm -hmm. why it's so important in really the evolution of every leader, every team, every organization. Yeah, when I talk about agility, especially from field service point of view context, um, what I mean is that um, it's an ability to meet the challenge faster, right? Or it's an ability to adapt the market condition faster. So in order to do that, there are different um, pillars that company can focus on. And we had a study as well, and that study identified around five pillars, leadership, uh, the, the support, the executive leadership provides for agile initiatives within the organization, the structure of your organization. How do you re reform your uh, organization to support this agility? How do you find leaders that are accountable for this? 
and portfolio, which is your products and services, how adaptable they are to market conditions. And the process, process really makes the agility actionable. So what kind of processes you're reimagining? Are you just converting paper-based processes to digital or reimagining them uh, with the new uh, modern processes? And the architecture, the tools and technology that you use, how do they support uh, for you to be agile? Uh, love that. Uh, how organizations you come across, mm-hmm. how with that definition, with those pillars, what what kind of grading would you give them? Or what's your what's your confidence level that beyond intellectually understanding that agility is important, they're actually being intentional in operationalizing agility in their organizations within those five pillars? Yeah, um, I think... Uh, Clearly, a lot of companies are struggling with that. And in certain, you know, pillars, they're really good. In certain pillars, um, they're experimenting. There is the project-based agility, like when you're going through your digital transformation, when you're uh, deploying it or enabling it, it's one stage. But after that, how you your business continue to perform as uh, agile, two different aspects. I think the most challenge is coming when people are going through the digital transformation. I see a lot of organizations starting their digital transformation as a um, renovation, just taking the service organization and making digital versus transformation will go across um, you know, departments, different boundaries kind of. Uh, and that's where the process management is important because you know process management centered around uh, workflow uh, that can cut across different uh, functional units, it's really going to enable that. And the other thing is the operating model. So how are you going to make it operationalized in the early stages, right? A lot of organizations overestimate what they can deliver in first year and underestimate what they can incrementally provide after that. So setting realistic goals and finding the leaders accountable to execute this and having the right operating model is really important. So let's talk about that. Uh, operationalizing uh, agility through this process change. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Where, where? and, and I'd really appreciate your comment. And, and I often talk to leaders about, you know, disruption is sexy to talk about, right? Who, who, who doesn't want to talk about you know, what Amazon is doing or what, you know, Meta or some of these other Google and some of the, you know, Tesla, there's all these, you know, companies that, that happen to grab a lot of headlines are doing. Yet, in my experience, it typically is a stair step. So uh, incremental is about how do we do what we do today better. You do enough incremental improvements, you'll, you'll stumble on innovation, which is how do we do new things? Mm-hmm. Do enough new, you know, experimentation and do new enough new things You'll stumble onto disruption, which is how do we do new things that make the old obsolete? In terms of process, you know, really optimizing, really changing your processes. Where do I start? How do I look at my? And a lot of comp- companies you and I interact with are mature companies in mature industries, right? They've built that perfect execution box where nobody wants to call their child ugly. So where do you start? How do you look for opportunities to really? implement process change 
Yeah, I think if I step back, you know, we talked about at the beginning of our uh, conversation, what are the business drivers, right? We said reduce cost, increase profit, keep employees and customers happy, and they are all connected, requires balancing act of different initiatives within the organization. I think before you start anything with the executive um, team sitting down and really defining what is the vision, right? What are the objectives? You, you can't do all, you need to balance these initiatives. So setting those realistic goals and then defining what needs to be delivered, plan to be delivered in the first year and who are the responsible people uh, to deliver those and what is the cadence both on the operational level, you know, you're, we're agile, you're using scrum methodology, hopefully, and then to optimize the business outcome, what are the, you know, um, review meetings with the executive team. And then really breaking down to actionable pieces, you know, all these goals, you know, reduce cost, increase profit. It's something that you can never claim you're done with it. You get better and better, but you're never going to be done. So there's always room for improvement. So finding what doesn't work, breaking down into actionable pieces, make it work, and then find an opportunity to scale it and iterate. So being agile, even at that level, is important, right? And don't, don't worry about pivoting. If something doesn't work, you have the operating model. You can go back and review with the right structure and pivot. So it's... Don't wait till the end. <laughs> John Carroll's jumping in with some great comments. So two key uh, parallels between customer experience and employee experience. One, effort, how hard it is to, to seek help. Two, being proactive in, in supporting them. So, so uh, yeah, we, we see a direct correlation between that uh, customer experience and employee experience, as you mentioned. You know, if I, if I take care of the employees, it's amazing how often that cascades down to taking you know, great care of our, our customers. Um, he also talks about top internal challenges among service leaders, people, lack of resources, engagement, retention, skill set. Are you seeing these challenges amongst your client companies? Yeah, definitely. Um, there is a labor shortage uh, and fueled by the, you know, people are retiring and the pandemic. And we see that, you know, a lot of employees willing to stay less years than uh, previous times as well. So the training onboarding is really important, right? So I see a trend, workforce optimization we usually see in call centers and uh, other parts of the business come into field service as well. So actually one of our uh, projects right now we're uh, working on taking our workforce optimization uh, product as part of our product portfolio and integrating into our field service management. So that means, you know, forecasting amount of work will come to your organization and making sure you have capacity, whether you need to hire or you re need to retrain your employees for that. And this helps employees because it gives continuous learning opportunities as well, right? So you need to help them to grow. They don't want to stand still. Again, John's sharing some great, great insights from, from the Service Council research. So trends we're closely watching, modernization, right? Patchwork versus truly digital transformation, as you mentioned. 41% of service leaders cite the integration of new technology into existing or new workflows 
as the greatest challenge. So this this reiterates a lot of your comments of mm -hmm. let's not just keep doing patchwork or band-aids. Let's really revisit the workflow. Is it as optimized? Is it as efficient or impactful as it could be to then automate? And there are fundamental things needs to still continue to improve for field service technicians or employees uh, to continue to be happy as well. I mean, if you think about um, schedule uh, efficiency, sending the right take to the right job at the right time. If you, as a technician, if you're at a job, you're late or you don't have the right parts, you're not going to be happy. You're under going to be stressed. That's going to impact customer experience as well. And when you're at the job, do you have the details, required details about the customer, about the job? All of these things add to employee experience and how smooth you can solve customer issues. If the customer is happy, they're going to spread the word and it's going to be easier for you to you know, attract new, the talent you want. For our audience, if you've joined us late, you're listening to Bulent Sinarkaya, uh, General Manager of Field Service Management at ServiceNow. And we're talking about operationalizing agility, getting beyond intellectually understanding that agility is important. I think you would have been in a cave in the last couple of years if you didn't hear. We've got to be more agile as individuals, as teams, as organizations. I'm always scratching my head like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how do we start to really bring that to fruition? And I love the idea of really looking at process change and change management as an enabler of that. Um, I, I love the example of Xerox. Can you think of one or two others, either leaders or organizations, who've been able to do exactly what you're advocating? Let's look at processes. Let's look at the business outcomes. Let's really bring agility out of the construct and more into kind of what it is that we do day in and day out. Sure. Um, next week, uh, we have our conference, uh, Knowledge 2022. And uh, and I'm co-presenting with uh, one of our customers, Shaidin Bachman. Uh, Shaidin Bachman uh, is a global manufacturer for parking solutions, and they have other transportation-related um, uh, services and products as well. But they also uh, manage and service uh, what they manufacture. So their products are including you know, ticketless entry exit on the parking locations and payment systems or camera-based monitoring empty parking spots. And they're all over in Europe and many different locations in the US as well. So um, they leverage uh, ServiceNow field service as well. Uh, before that, they had many different silo systems. Again, it's all going back to having visibility. And one of the systems they had as uh, SAP systems in different regions, you can imagine giving access to, um, you know, dispatchers or managers to SAP and them figuring out how to generate a report and understand the data is challenging. So by consolidating all of those and putting the service now as a solution on top of it, it really enabled them to see their current status. They started implementing at a locations, which is less complex, fine tune the processes and then move to use the success and deploy to other uh, geographies as well. But now, uh, even during the call, he can just log in and provide the data, which usually takes him one week in the past. So they were able to set the KPIs. The most impressive thing is that 40% um, 
um, of their revenue uh, is coming from service uh, revenue. So they were able to achieve that increased revenue bucket. Um, and customer satisfaction is 97%, which is <laughs> unheard of. So they were around 50%. Now there's 97% customer satisfaction. And, and, I, and I love that data-driven decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. So especially, again, you think of pretty straightforward businesses like parking and parking spaces, and it'd be very easy to rely on gut feel or intuition or, well, I've been in this business for a long time. I kind of know what we need to do versus, you know, data-driven decisions that, that force you to look at change in direction, change in market dynamics. Yeah. Um... Service console research also talks about, you know, those KPIs, some of them shows you the end result. Some of the KPIs explain why this is happening. Mm. I think it's um, in order to achieve that, you really need to get visibility. It's all about uh, connecting the silo systems, connecting middle office, front office, back office with the digital workflows. Once you have that, then you can add bells and whistles or additional innovation. You really need to set the foundation solid that enables the agility. Otherwise, it's going to be like, um, you know, house of cards. <laughs> you can add things, but if you don't have a solid foundation, it's going to be hard to maintain. It might crumble down. Talking about Service Council, leave it to our friend John Carroll to include a shameless plug. Uh, but there is a uh, voice of the field service engineer. There's a benchmark survey on, uh, again, there's the link is in LinkedIn. I would encourage the audience, if you want to really understand day in the life of a field service engineer, uh, this research is insightful in, a, in an incredible way. So I would encourage our audience to check it out and and uh, jump in and and uh, certainly want to make sure your voice is heard, but uh, the insights from it also become invaluable. Uh, let's talk about change management. Again, it's one of those, you and I both have teenagers, right? It's very easy for us to tell them what they should do because it'll be good for them. I think they need to scrape their knees and, you know, unfortunately learn it for themselves as well. And, and I found the same in many organizations. You and I can certainly go to a field service leader or go to a field service team and say, they got to think differently about how they're doing what they're doing, but there's got to be a certain level of aspiration mm -hmm. and, and courage. I've always believed to kind of embrace change and get out of our own comfort zone to kind of embrace that change. Talk about the role of change management in that operationalizing agility. Where, where does that come in? Yeah, definitely a key part of it. And again, it starts with, you know, um, how you're going to deploy this solution versus how it's being used all the way. Uh, it's really important. If nobody's using the digital transformation you put in place, uh, that's destined to fail. So that means the end users needs to be part of the process. So Xerox talked about this um, during our webinar. And also uh, we were at the field service conference two weeks ago. They were on stage talking about it, uh, communicating clearly what's being done to all parties. It's important. Um, Tony, uh, he's the delivery VP at Xerox said, you cannot under communicate. You have to over-communicate what's happening. So what they have done, as an example, they included um, team members as part of the planning process. And then those people embedded into, after the deployment, embedded into teams to provide as an expert um, 
help to the other uh, folks as well. And they started small, show the success, show the data, prove the value. And then other teams start coming and asking, can we start using this as well? So it's really important to create this um, communication channel, uh, including uh, all the parties, and then showing success, then adoption becomes uh, much easier. I, I've always believed, and I'd welcome your, your comments on this, when there's lack of information, <laughs> people make things up. Right? Did, I, did I tell you we're going out of business? Why? Because I haven't seen any kind of a report lately. So yeah, I, I'm a big believer of that error on the side of over-communication. As a matter of fact, I think I read a fascinating report that said, if you want anything to be remembered and repeated, it needs to be reinforced seven times. Not repetitive, but reinforced. And they need to see it in different modality, right? So mm -hmm. You know, an all hands meeting, a presentation, a email, subsequent conversations, those all reinforce here's where we're going, here's why, here's what, you know, where your role is and how you contribute to this. Mm -hmm. And this is how we're better off when we get there. Because I think if you don't do that, you're going to leave most people thinking, is this another flavor of the week? And if I ignore it long enough, it's going to go away. What's your mm -hmm. take on, on that? Yes. Yeah, True. And it's also uh, at every level, even if you take our product, let's take an example, dispatchers, they play a key role, keeping the schedule running. And most of them have been doing this, you know, they do this for a long time, they know what they're doing. And, you know, when you uh, do a digital transformation, you put a more modern system and suddenly AI start helping the scheduling. Um, there is a resistance because there's certain way of people used to doing things. And if you don't communicate, here is the schedule change. And here are the reasons the adoption I seen in many organizations, they turn off mm. uh, schedule optimization. Mm. So right now, one of the projects that we're doing is that, you know, on our AI's um, schedule optimization, we're also adding an explanation why it's optimized this way. So you can not only win the hearts, but also the minds of the end users as well. With any change, whether it's a process or change management or whatever the case may be, you're inevitably going to get some pushback. You're going to get some people who, for whatever reason, don't want to play. Have you seen that? And, and what's been your response, whether, again, within your own organization or your clients, what do you do with those that, Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm close to retiring or you're messing with my Wednesday night bowling league. No, thank yeah. you. What, what do you do with people that, that aren't really receptive to come along that change journey? Yeah, this goes back to the pillars of agility, right? The leadership, the structure, putting the right uh, folks in charge or in the right places so they can uh, have the accountability, right? And in certain cases, needs to be leadership support, maybe mandate. But the best approach is to show the value, to provide um, time to value shorter. So the more we provide out of the box, uh, the less risk for organizations to start with, to realize the value, and then iterate from there. So that's why um, we're working on our industry products. The whole purpose is that you know, rather than our customers taking our products, configuring for their own industry, we're providing out-of-the-box uh, workflows, out-of-the-box applications, pre-configured solutions 
for specific industries so we can share the best practices. So when you provide these and you know align different aspects, leadership support, organizational structure, and out of the box uh, best practices, the resistance become um, less. Yeah, and that's it's so much more productive for the organization when when you're able to turn that headwind, maybe into turbulence, but but certainly ideal if it becomes tailwind and you get people on board and and rowing in the same direction. And, and uh, do do you have you seen that pushback be a self preservation or job security concern or if we do it this way, I may not be as valuable to the organization. Yeah, definitely. I I, I seen. I don't want to give names, <laughs> but um, again, uh, communication is important. Showing other customer examples is important because you know companies always want to hear from other companies' experiences, how they gone through. You know, when there's we tell the stories, but bringing together the customers, whether it's an advisory board or uh, events, certain uh, meetings, I see this is really effective directly asking each other the questions how did you go through this journey what did you learn what are the best practices that's the most valuable way of um educating or reducing the resistance but change is hard there's always going to be a pushback i i I've long believe we're all creatures of habit right I, we, we want predictability in our lives and when there's certainly we've seen in the last couple of years when chaos is thrown in we kind of revert back to the comfort. We revert back to the known. And I and I believe in if you appeal, which I think is a lot of what you're referring to, if you appeal to their logical self-interest, if you help them de-risk the outcomes from that change and really give them a line of sight in what's involved in that change, you're going to gain a lot more receptivity as to going down this path, going down this journey. Yes. And it ties back to, you know, before you start digital transformation, you really need to uh, define what is your vision? Mm. Where do you want to go? And then backtrack from there, like what you need to do in the first year, the second year, even to build our products this way. We have this long range planning, right? We don't always go like, here's the next release. I don't know what the release after that. There is always a three to five year plan. And you backtrack from there, okay, what do we need to deliver the first year in order to achieve the, our goal in the year three? So setting those expectations and having a, you know, writing them down is really powerful. You know, once you, you know, get in the engagement with the executives and asking them these questions, they start thinking, then they understand they cannot go status quo. They need to do things differently. That's, that's a great point and uh, and a critical one. Uh, let's switch gears to your leadership, your focus, your team. Can you think about how you're developing or share with us how you're developing your team or maybe clients to get more comfortable with this idea of, of operationalizing agility? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm super lucky. <laughs> I have a great team. And... Um, and I've been with ServiceNow for a year now, uh, and 2021 was our first year as a separate business unit. Field service management, believe it or not, it was part of first ITSM product and then included as part of customer service. 
But now customers, more and more customers are using it, seeing value and asking more. We created a business unit and it's growing really fast. Uh, having said that, um, we never invested in much to talk about field service product. Mm. You know, Fortune 500, 80% our customers, they know us with our flagship, about flagship products, customer service, but they, most of them, they didn't even know we had a field service management product. So on the product side, I'm way ahead of our uh, awareness. So I'm really doubling down, focusing on uh, market awareness, both internal and external. That means working closer with customers, putting more customer stories out there, making sure our if customer implementations are successful, they're happy, they're referenceable. That's where my energy uh, is going. It's so critical that that uh, a, a a friend and a, and a longtime client, Dennis Sadlowski, talks about, um, and he was at the Service Council Symposium last year talking about outside and leadership. And he often talks about not a whole lot happens in the you know within within the mahogany row within your office. Get out, go see customers, go really talk to them about what they're doing, how they're doing it and really become an advocate of, of their efforts back in the organization and really bring those insights back into, here's what we're seeing, here's what we're doing, here's what our customers' customers are either challenged with or there's an opportunity to implement. So I love that idea of getting out to customers and making sure the field service management story and the customer stories are heard. We've got a comment from, uh, let's see, from Dave. Really like appeal to self-interest comment. Yeah, development opportunities around this topic for customer-facing field staff certainly has a place. Dave, absolutely. And, and if you appeal to their logical self-interest, kind of what's in it for them and the things they care about. So, so one of the biggest mistakes a lot of leaders or teams make is you sit there, you be quiet. Let me tell you how smart we are. Let me tell you all the things that we want, that we need. And the audience typically will be polite and listen and nod. What they're thinking is, what's in it for me? Right? Why, why should I do anything differently to help you or support you? Not that they don't want to be company people and support the organization, but they have their own priorities. And we saw this where corporate is trying to talk to field technicians about margin pressures and digital transformation and all this. The field technicians want happy customers. They want, I want to make sure I've got the right part on my truck. And when I show up on site, I know what that customer's problem is. I solve them. I delight them. They're happy with me. That's really what I'm after. So unless you start to translate that which you care about into what they care about, you're going to be passing each other in the night because they're not picking up what you're laying down. And you're sending out a lot of noise. What you don't know are the signals that are resonating. Rilan, have you seen this? Have you seen uh, the, the corporate speak and how it kind of misses the field? Yeah, it's like an office episode. Hi, I'm from corporate. I'm here to help you. Right. <laughs> it usually goes. Uh, uh, definitely. I mean, Service Console has a, uh, the, 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 the KPI research uh, is great as well. Certain uh, KPIs shows the end result and causality as well. And again, you know, increasing revenue, employee experience, they're all related. Uh, improving one side will impact the uh, other side as well. Definitely uh, organizations need to leverage uh, when they're communicating to the right audience using the right KPIs, even though that KPI 
uh, when they're talking about it, they have revenue in mind. If you just talk about the revenue, you're missing the opportunity to winning their hearts and minds. And, and that's such a key is because, again, um, it's very difficult. Couple, couple, couple of notes for audiences. One, very difficult to try to logically engage someone who's who's illogical. Number two, you can make all the factual points you want unless you you really engage their hearts and their minds, which really amplifies the empathy, really understanding where they're coming from. You're not going to get adoption. So we talked about change. We talked about digital transformation. You, you, you got you to gotta help them see why and how they're better off with those tools and how right. you'll make their lives easier and more impactful if you want any kind of adoption. Again, and, Bolan, have you seen the same? Yeah, and it is true for both customers and employees. The amount of effort required on their side, you have to reduce that. So that means better tools, provide empowering them with the information they need, but also the usability, uh, ease of use, right? Um, a lot of customers, they might not be open to, you know, problem solve with you over the remote, you know, video conference. But if it is easy to solve, if they can avoid, uh, you know, scheduling technician come in, um, they, they are open to it. But if you cannot solve in the next call, you have to go through the same problem again and again, and if the you know mobile app is not designed properly, small buttons or multiple steps, the adoption is not going to be there, and you're not going to improve it. I, I, I'm a big fan of if you confuse, you lose. <laughs> True. <laughs> and if you make me spend a lot of cycles trying to understand this this process or this platform, or that you, you're going to lose me at hello, and I'm going to disengage. And this is not an age comment. But if you think of a seasoned field service organization who has been successful, who's been out there, they didn't, they didn't paint on the gray hair, right? They've been at this for a while. And you try to shove a new tool, technology platform that just adds unnecessary complexity in their world. We've only seen people just disengage and just kind of, again, they'll go along to get along but you're not going to get adoption. You're not going to get really embracing of that. Talking about change and change management, talking about this idea of operationalizing agility, I'm always really curious. You and I are from similar parts of the world. So I'm always curious, is this nature kind of where and how they were born and or is it nurture? Is it an environment that develops them to be more adaptable, develops individuals and teams to really embrace, for lack of a better word, chaos and, and function still well within a changing environment? Yeah, I think uh, nature side of it helps definitely, but it is not a must-have. So it's definitely nurture, creating the right environment and structure, leadership support, um, then people learn. And once you taste of it, then you don't want to go back, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and especially if they see that they're better off from having taken those steps, then you're reinforcing this is a culture that adapts. This is a culture that evolves. And right. you want to succeed here, embracing it sooner than later would go a long way. Um, what, what value is most important to you from your involvement in service council? And again, as I mentioned, you, you also serve on the 
Tech Advisory Board. What are you getting from Service Council? Why are you involved? Um, I believe in continuous learning, adopting. Um, and every time I meet with customers and other peers, I learn something. So that's the most valuable thing for me, uh, learning the best practices, other opinions, and you know, bouncing off ideas because Service Council Advisory Board is the who's who of the industry. So uh, great colleagues, and uh, I love uh, being part of the um, committee. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a great great experience, great opportunity to to collaborate with with uh, John Carroll and Sheila and the whole Service Council team. And again, this is a this is an opportunity for me to uh, likewise share and and flex on on uh, on a little bit of that that relationship. Great great folks, great opportunity to kind of come and be a part of that that environment. Come and be a part of uh, that community. If if you haven't had a chance to check out servicecouncil.com. A lot of great research, a lot of great information here. Really excited about the upcoming symposium. Again, uh, uh, I attended this, spoke at this, moderated several panels at this event. This is the Smarter Services Executive Symposium, September 19 through 21. We'll be back in Chicago. Highly, highly encourage you to check it out. This is where in a non-commercial way. That's one of the things I think most practitioners really appreciated. In a non-commercial way, field service, customer service, customer experience leaders gather and they really share best practices. They really share their challenges, their opportunities, their struggles from uh, not just kind of what they're seeing, what their challenges are, but really where they see opportunities and where they see a chance to have a real impact in the community. So I would encourage you, and Sheila is kind enough to share the, the URL. So servicecouncil.com slash executive symposium. Again, uh, September, Chicago. Come join us. If you if you have any influence or, uh, as, as Bulan mentioned, opportunity to learn and grow in the field service, customer service, customer experience space, this is the event not to be missed. And I think we also all have a pent-up demand for in-person gatherings over the last couple of years. Um, okay, my last question of you. As we can see in your background, there's some guitars. I, I got to ask, tell us about your passion for guitars and also your favorite memory from your beautiful country, Turkey. All right. <laughs> well, maybe let me move the camera. So oh, here can we go. Oh, look music. at that. Look at this. There's Those some are here. beautiful. There we some go. Here. If you ask my wife, she says I have too many. At one point, there were about 30 of them. <laughs> but the, here's the formula for number of guitars you need, or any musical instrument, actually, okay. is number of guitars you have plus one. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are, you an act, are you a passionate musician or guitar player? Well, at this point, the collector side is more <laughs> dominant than playing part. But here's the idea. When pandemic hit, uh, we all locked down in our home offices, uh, Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. Some people, you know, go for a run. Some people meditate. I decided to learn something new and maybe create some new neural paths. Um, so I start, you know, playing guitar. And then I discover their different body shapes, wood shapes, sounds, and start buying more guitars. 
And then my wife applied workforce optimization, said, hey, the capacity planning here is not that great. Now it went down to 10 guitars. So if I need to buy one, I need to sell one. I'm okay with that. And my next challenge is that I'm going to try to learn play a song with my left hand. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I, I, uh, so my, my addiction are motorcycles and we have the same, same concept of what's your favorite motorcycle. The next one, and, <laughs> and it becomes a very expensive, uh, passion. And somebody else said, it's good to have a hobby. And I remind them hobbies, fill our times, passions, make them. Right. So if you become passionate about something, and by the way, I coach a lot of executives and we often talk about, as you alluded to, I don't know what your happy place is, but I don't know any executive that can burn the candle at both ends for long. So we all need, as blessed as we are with technology, we all need digital detox. We all need to disengage. I'm hoping just like when I ride motorcycles, when you're playing the guitar, nobody's calling, nobody wants to have a Zoom meeting. Correct. And it's our chance to be in our happy place. Um, so nobody wants to listen either. So. <laughs> Favorite memory of Turkey? All right. So let's go with the professional memory. I okay. mean, I lived in uh, Turkey for a long time. Most of my friends uh, moved to the United States for college or for master's. I came way later in my life. Um, so uh, one of the things, you know, I'm a computer engineer, but by training, uh, after the master's program during PhD, I started a company with three of my friends. And this is back in 1990, we're talking about. The Windows didn't exist back then. <laughs> and the company did two things. One is um, uh, automation, so factory floor, um, you know, robotic arms. And the other side was communication. So we literally took the seven layers of computer network book Tannenbaum and created all those layers to create an application. The bottom layer was, uh, you know, machine language. The top layer was the graphical user interface before it was AOL kind of application. So we had, we put, and it, it was one of our uh, founders uh, apartment in Istanbul. And we put a satellite dish on top of the building. People thought that we were spies <laughs> and we put modems like there are 40, 50 modems uh, attached to Linux service. After six months hard work, um, you know, we turn on the service and I remember still the first call coming in and modems are synchronizing and the customer connecting. So, and that year we also uh, got the best uh, software in Turkey kind of award. Wow. Well, for, our, for our younger audience, modems were these bricks <laughs> <laughs> that we had. Like Hayes was a big manufacturer of them and you'd pay a lot of money for really, really slow connections, but it was the best of what we had back then. So uh, John Carroll, very kind. So it talks about, uh, Noah, the power of your work is helping organizations operationalize against the trends we uncover in research and community discussions. So, and the feeling is very mutual. Yeah, John, appreciate you, appreciate our, our partnership with the uh, with the Service Council. For our audience, uh, you've been listening to probably one of my favorite conversations, Bolan. Sinarkaya, uh, general manager of field service, uh, you know, that whole business on side of service now. We've been talking about operationalizing agility and specifically around really process change and change management. And this is such an important topic that I think we've barely scratched the surface. So, Bolan, not only thank you for the gift of your time, but I hope you'll join us at the symposium. I think 
this would be a fascinating conversation with other service leaders who now have had two years of really a challenging environment and, and challenging to leadership style, challenging to the evolution of their teams and organizations to continue to talk about and really share best practices. So thanks for joining us. It was David, great to have you. David, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, you know, talking to you and uh, I can't wait to be uh, at the conference. Look forward to it. For our audience, uh, we're live a couple of times each month between practitioner executives, technology advisory board members. I hope you'll continue to join us. Servicecouncil.com is the website. Again, I hope you'll mark your calendar September, this September, 19 through 21, I think it is, Chicago, for the Executive Symposium. It'll be a great event. Hope you'll make time to join us. On behalf of Service Council, I'm David Knorr. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. All the best.